mercy of Mother Nature. It's really subject to change quickly if the winds go in a different direction on us. Crews make progress on the Christie Mountain fire, but the weather is the wild card. Extending the serve. Certainly there's individuals who need this benefit still. How some businesses fear the pandemic payment will keep workers from coming back and survival instinct. I then uh, realized at that moment that I had to save my wife. A search and rescue member faces his own life or death test. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Just two days after it was first spotted, that huge wildfire south of Penticton now covers at least 2,000 hectares. With thousands of people still evacuated or on evacuation alert, the weather is the big concern. Aaron MacArthur is live in Penticton and Aaron, they're worried about high winds there. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. It's calm now. Really, it's been calm for the last two days that we've been here, but all that is expected to change tomorrow morning. Heavy, gusty winds out of the south, and that has everyone on edge. Fighting this fire took on new urgency Thursday. A lull in the weather gave crews a window to get on the offensive. Nine choppers worked non-stop from the air. Ground crews worked to establish a 10-foot-wide fire guard near the homes on Heritage Hills. Success that hinges entirely on the wind. We have uh, fire modeling in place that we can run the fuels and the winds and all the factors that affect the movement of the fire. Based on all those uh, numbers, where it's going to go and how fast it's going to travel. If we get some strong winds, then uh, our lines will be challenged. 3,700 homes remain on evacuation alert. The regional district and city of Penticton working to make sure everyone is ready in case the fire runs. Structural protection units are setting up. Evacuation plans are being finalized, including those for vulnerable populations. If they have to evacuate, we are making sure that they are still in an ability to self-isolate. So it could be a hotel, it could be living in another area where they are self-isolating. While people are anxiously waiting for word about any new evacuation orders, people who were told to leave Tuesday afternoon, still amazed at how quickly it all happened. Surreal. It's like we had time but didn't. And when we got notice, it was just a whirlwind. What do you take? and we thought it wouldn't come and then once you start seeing flames it's like uh oh I guess we better pack something just in case. The fire now sits at 20 square kilometers and along some of the edges crews are fighting it with success but it is still considered out of control and with any turn in the weather things could quickly get out of hand. All right Aaron what have you learned about the strategy to fight this fire in the hours ahead? Well tonight the aim is simply preparation. As I said, the structural protection units will begin the process of staging tonight and in tomorrow. There's still a good chunk of distance between the fire and Penticton, so there is some time. But that's the goal in terms of the evacuation alert zone and the south end of Penticton. On the fire itself, much of the day has been spent shaping the fire, putting it, trying to put it in places where it's easier to fight. If the wind kicks up and they lose control of that, the goal will be trying to put it back into those areas as quickly as they can. Sophie. All right, Aaron MacArthur near Penticton for us. Let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for more on those winds that are expected in the area. Christy. 
Sophie, it is important to note that it really only the Christie Mountain firefighters have the best idea of the local winds in that area, especially when it comes to gusts. But what I can tell you is overall in the region overnight tonight, we are expecting the winds to remain calm, which is good news, generally out of the north, but overall calm right through the overnight periods. But early tomorrow morning, as early as about 7 a.m., we are expecting the winds to pick up. We've got a band of rain and potential thunderstorms that are expected to roll through. So a southerly wind with gusts in that 40 kilometer an hour range, but there is a chance we could see some local gusts even stronger than that. So that's picking up in the morning and continuing likely through the afternoon. So certainly lots to watch there tomorrow. And we'll be keeping an eye on it. Christy, we'll check in with you a little bit later. Well, the BCSPCA is stepping up to help pet owners affected by the Christy Mountain wildfire. Hey, handsome. The SPCA is moving animals from its Penticton shelter to other facilities in the region. It's also offering space in its Kelowna shelter for people who've been evacuated but can't take their pets with them. If people can't get to the Kelowna shelter themselves, the SPCA will transport their pet for them. Staff at the Penticton facility are still on the job handing out pet food to those who need it and helping to arrange temporary housing for pets. Well, now to the battle against COVID-19 in this province, and we have another outbreak to report. A cluster at the Loblaws warehouse in Surrey. Those are among 80 new cases in B.C. for a total now of 4,825. Sadly, two additional people have died from complications of the virus, which means we have now lost 200 people. 11 are in hospital, four of them in the ICU. 3,845 people are considered fully recovered, leaving us with 780 active cases. There are 2,574 people in isolation. Keith Bald rejoins us now with more. Keith, BC Ferries is also making a pretty big announcement today about their mask policy. Yes, starting Monday, everybody's got to wear a mask if you get on BC Ferries. You have to wear it for the duration of the uh, voyage. I was on a BC Ferry yesterday going back and forth. I saw about 70% of the people wearing masks and all the staff wearing masks, but that's uh, that's uh, going to change on Monday. Everybody has to wear a mask. Not sure how it's going to be enforced, uh, but we doc- asked Dr. Rekha Gustafson today, the Deputy Health Minister, about their take, public health take, on a mandatory rule, which they're reluctant to impose on other areas. She says it is a, it a level of protection protection, to be clear. It's not one of the most top-rated one. Uh, physical distancing is, of course, but she says it's up to organizations to decide if they want to make things mandatory. In the context of, of uh, uh, situations where you are interacting with individuals who are uh, whom you don't know and who, who with whom you may not be able to keep uh, um, a, a significant distance, um, the, the additional layer of protection that uh, masks provide can be helpful. Uh, with respect to making it mandatory or recommended, that's often the decision of the organization that that puts that policy in place. All right, Keith, we've had some foreshadowing or some hints about this, but Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth is set to make a big announcement tomorrow. What do we know about that? 
Yes, 10 a.m. tomorrow, he's going to announce a series of penalties and fines that will be levied on people and organizations that break the rules and gather in large numbers, over 50, uh, not able to maintain their uh, uh, physical distance. And this will apply primarily to ins inside events, but also, I'm told, to outside events as well. Both uh, individuals, attendees who go to these things, I'm, I think I'm hearing talk about a fine of $200. And for organizers and operators of these events and inviting people in improperly, the fine is much more substantial. I think somewhere in the range of $1,000 to $2,000. Uh, the moves uh, come as BC uh, continues in our state of emergency, which gives Mike Farmworth the power under Emergency Act to invoke penalties and fines such as this. We'll hear all about it tomorrow at 10 a.m. We'll be carrying that live on BC One. We sure will. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Health officials are notifying the public about two new COVID-19 exposures on flights in and out of YVR. Sorry, uh, more than two, actually. The BC CDC says they span from August 8th to August 16th on six flights. They include flights from the Philippines, India and Winnipeg and flights from Vancouver International Airport to Winnipeg, Tokyo and China. For more information, go to the BC CDC's website. Vancouver Coastal Health is warning about a possible exposure at another Vancouver bar. The latest advisory focuses on Bartholomew Bar on Mainland Street in Yaletown. The possible exposures happen on August 13th and 14th. And while it's believed to be low risk, anyone who was at Bartholomew Bar on those days should self-monitor for coronavirus symptoms. The federal government is rolling out the details on a slate of new benefit programs. Those benefits worth more than $36 billion and are designed to supplement EI when the CERB goes away at the end of next month. Nadia Stewart reports. We need people to help sort. The last time we checked in with Jeff Schwartz, he was struggling to find workers. But after this story aired on Monday... We got probably close to 5,000 calls. In fact, two days ago, our phone system crashed because of the volume. And this is true. Our phone system crashed for the volume of people that are actually coming to actually apply for positions. Schwartz says they've employed some and referred others to local businesses, struggling to find workers after having to lay them off in March. The overwhelming response... We were sure that Canadians want to work and they would go back to work. What the Liberals said they'd always expected. On Thursday, they announced changes to the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. First, EI is getting a revamp. But for those who do not qualify, there are three new programs. The Canada Recovery Benefit will see those self-employed receive $400 a week for 26 weeks. The Canada Recovery Caregiver Benefit ensures $500 a week for those unable to work because they have to care for a child or loved one. And there's a benefit that provides $500 for two weeks for those sick or self-isolating. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business says they support the changes overall, but... The temporary EI changes, the threshold for eligibility is very low. In fact, individuals who are part-time workers, maybe even just working three hours a week for the past year, will now be eligible for this benefit. And while there are many Canadians eager to get back to work, Schwartz wonders whether incentives could help boost the number of people returning. If the government decided to tell the, these people that, look, we're going to give you an incentive check, almost like a bonus, whatever that might be, 1500 2000 now you're off serve, now you're off serve, and now the employer stands a chance to actually hire people. Nadia Stork, Global News. 
The Vancouver School Board has released its proposed back-to-school plans starting next month. Under the proposal, all students will return to daily in-class instruction within cohort learning groups. In elementary schools, those groups will be a uh, maximum of 60 students and staff. In secondary schools, the groups are limited to 120 students and staff. High school students will go to a quarterly school year with two courses being studied during a 10-week period in a mixed in-class online format. A new instruction block known as flex time will make up part of secondary students' daily routine. That flex time could be used for more in-class instruction or remote learning. Of great concern to us as a school district is for students who perhaps are immune compromised and are unable to be back in school. And depending on the age of the child, it will vary how we can best support them. So in our secondary schools, given the model that we have now put into place or are proposing, uh, we might be able to accommodate them remotely. And that would require hand timetabling at a student-by-student, school-by-school basis. For our elementary students, we do have options. One could homeschool, one could take dis uh, distance learning. We do have a hospital homebound program that we put in place. But we are hearing concerns from our families and we are in ongoing conversations. Families can expect to begin hearing from their child's school the week of August 24th, pending final approval from the province. The homelessness crisis in Vancouver has deteriorated so badly that the mayor of Vancouver and two NDP politicians have teamed up, writing an open letter to the federal government pleading with them for help. Jordan Armstrong reports. For months now, we've been hearing the complaints. People from all walks of life are tired of the human suffering. We didn't wake up one day and say, hey, we decide to be addicts. You know what I mean? It wasn't a dream for us. I'm sick of the drugs. I'm sick of watching my friends die. I'm sick of all of it. And it's sometimes dangerous side effects. He had his needle up in the air uh, like he was going to use it to hurt me. A leaked letter sent this week, co-signed by Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart, NDP MLA Melanie Mark, and NDP MP Jenny Kwan, calls on the Federal Social Development Minister to step up in the form of a 50-50 cost-sharing agreement with the province to build more supportive housing and acquire new housing stock. We need to uh, get all levels of government rowing in the same direction. And Councillor Lisa Dominato says the focus should not be limited to housing. I'm actually calling for a, a task force a provincial, federal, municipal task force on mental health and addictions to address the root causes and these issues, uh, to address all these issues that re residents are bringing up in our city. Is the delay a case of, well, BC is just a long way away from no. Ottawa and it takes a while for this to trickle no, back? people love to say that, but that's not true. Vancouver Centre Liberal MP Dr. Hetty Fry insists the Trudeau government is already at the table. We're working on it. I don't know that there is anything that has a magic bullet answer in something that is as complex as substance use. But what does Fry say to addicts, downtown residents, and businesses who simply can't afford to wait years for a slight improvement? We're not talking about years here. I'm hoping that this is going to take months. Dominato and countless others hope that's true. I think if we don't take action now, we're going to continue to see more deaths uh, more challenges, more disorder. So we need to take action now, which is why I'm calling for the task force. Jordan Armstrong. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. Barack Obama comes out swinging at the Democratic National Convention. How the president reacted later in the news hour. Plus, a construction crew unearths a mysterious tunnel in Alberta where it leads that may be the answer to a century-old bank robbery. That's coming up.
Right now, a warning to ophidiophobes on southern Vancouver Island. That's people who fear snakes. Just over a week since a 1.4-meter ball python was recovered, more than a month after it first went missing, the snake has once again slipped away from its owner. Brad McLeod reports. If you have a fear of snakes, beware. A four-and-a-half-foot python is slithering somewhere in the Saanich neighborhood of Marigold. 2020 just keeps on giving. <laughs> and re-giving. This is the exact snake that was reported missing earlier in the month to Victoria City Police. The first time the python was missing for more than a month before being reported to police on August 4th. It escaped near the Galloping Goose Trail and Bay Street, but was found August 12th in Fairfield, nearly four kilometers away. A woman there was shocked to find it in her recycle bin. Ball pythons are not venomous, and it is legal to own them. After police found the snake, it was deemed healthy by a vet. Victoria Animal Control returned it to its owner with a warning and a bill for about $25 for impound and boarding fees. Though Animal Control says if it happened again in the city, the owner would face a $125 ticket for having a snake unlawfully in public. But it did happen again, though in neighboring Saanich. Snake, it appears, has escaped from a backpack. John Lenahan has been making calls and knocking on doors in Marigold. Homeless fella I know is, he, I um, guess he crashed out in some hedges down the road here the other night and it snake got back out again, so. He says the snake is gentle, but. If I find it, it's not going back to its owner. This isn't a first for Saanich. In 2002, a massive boa on a lawn, or how about a ball python found on a toilet? In the most recent case, Saanich police say they will take into account this has happened twice. And we'll liaise with experts about, you know, is carrying the snake around in your backpack appropriate? It's certainly going to look into that and whether the pet should be returned to this individual. Brad McLeod, Global News, Saanich. Well, three years after the death of a Vancouver toddler, charges have been laid. The accusations against the daycare operator where baby Mac died just ahead. And escorted out of town, an American visitor caught breaking quarantine rules in Canada. High above Camby and King Edward in Vancouver, we've got a crash, uh, an earlier incident that's blocked off the street. King Edward is blocked between Camby and Maine, more specifically Camby and Columbia. Um, so no traffic getting through east or westbound on King Ed, local traffic only. From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. In Global One, I'm Tim Maine. A five-year-old boy has died after being hit by a falling tree in Chilliwack. The little boy was part of a local group that was on a day hike along the Kingfisher Trail in the Brown Creek wetlands Tuesday around noon. Chilliwack RCMP say the boy died on the scene. A 22-year-old woman from Abbotsford was also hurt. She was sent to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The BC Coroner Service is investigating. The identity of the little boy has not been released. More than three years after the tragic death of a toddler in a Vancouver daycare, charges have now been laid against the operator. The little boy, known as Baby Mac, was found unresponsive in a playpen, his death prompting calls for justice and change in the industry. Ted Chernecki reports. As Vancouver police noted, the details surrounding the death of 16-month-old McAllen Sani 
at an unlicensed and illegal daycare in East Vancouver are gut-wrenching. Three years, seven months later, charges finally laid against the woman who ran the Olive Branch daycare. 41-year-old Susie Yasmin Sad appeared in court yesterday where she was charged with two counts of failure to provide the necessaries of life and one count of fraud over 5000 A civil lawsuit also before the courts alleges Baby Mac, as he's sometimes called, was found dead in his playpen on January 18, 2017. He allegedly choked on an electrical cord. Charge of fraud was unexpected. Or just other uh, families at this daycare, and there were certain um, deceit factors that went on, so that's where the fraud comes in. The civil lawsuit alleges there was overcrowding at the daycare, and the owner had been investigated multiple times before the tragedy. Baby Mac's death brought to the forefront an ongoing problem where parents had so little choice for daycare. Things are slightly better than they were because now we have a government that is committed to universal childcare, which we didn't have before. Childcare was left to wither in the marketplace. Um, things are better, but we've got a long way to go to actually build the childcare system that parents can depend on. In a statement, the family's grateful that the Crown has approved charges and that Ms. Saad will be called to account for her actions. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Thirteen years after the death of Robert Jakansky at Vancouver International Airport, several senior members of the RCMP are now being investigated by an outside agency. Jakansky died after he was jolted several times by a taser in 2007. The Polish immigrant's death led to perjury charges against two officers involved, alleging they lied to the police probe. Two other officers were found not guilty. Now, Ontario's provincial police have confirmed they are looking into the high-profile incident involving current and former RCMP leaders. The criminal investigation branch is providing few details at this time. A Vancouver police officer who arrived as backup to a wellness check gone wrong testified today at an OPCC public hearing into the actions of two other officers. The incident happened back in March of 2016. The two constables were dispatched to the Vancouver home, but within minutes of arriving, were engaged in a brawl with the family inside. Romina Dare reports. I could hear yelling and screaming, Sergeant Sam Primorano testified. The VPD officer said constables Eric Ludeman and Neil Logan were trying to gain control of Vladimir Chaikun. Can we get Leslieville inside the premises? Delta 2 on, we're a block away and we're Leslieville. Copy, Delta 2 on, Leslieville en route. Chaikun, an engineer, was punching and kicking the officers, said Primorano, who was surprised an elderly man was fighting so wildly. I put my baton in my hand, said Primorano. Counsel, how many blows did you deliver? Maybe five or six. Shortly after, they were able to grab his arms. Chaikun, who was 60 at the time, was beaten and bruised from head to toe, literally. Constables Ludeman and Logan are expected to testify next week, but Logan doesn't want to attend in person because of COVID concerns. Logan, who is also facing another disciplinary process for allegedly beating his former girlfriend, has a medical condition not made public to the hearing. 
Logan's lawyer says his client was in the ER, unconscious. He was intubated. He has lung problems. His heart was not operating for half an hour. Counsel for the OPCC wants proof. The adjudicator is expected to rule tomorrow whether Logan will be permitted to testify via video. Under the Police Act, it is not mandatory to testify in person. Romina Dea, Global News. Just ahead, an American caught trying to take advantage of the Alaska loophole. Had not followed the direction of, you know, obviously the uh, Canada Border Services Agency. How authorities tracked him down and the consequences he's facing. Plus... Couldn't hold on any longer. I was accepting my fate in the river. How a search and rescue member found himself on the other end of an emergency situation. Street Bridge. Things moving fairly well southbound. A little bit of volume, but northbound, you're just very slow to merge onto the bridge deck. Once you hit the bridge deck mid-span, you start to clear up and into Vancouver. Also in Vancouver, you got reports of a crash on commercial between Venables and Hastings. Northbound is blocked, so watch out for that. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the Real Canadian Superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. In Global One, I'm Tim Main. We have a president who turns our tragedies into political weapons. Let's be clear, there is no vaccine for racism. He has shown no interest in putting in the work. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Kamala Harris accepting her historic vice presidential nomination last night and former President Barack Obama, the man Joe Biden served, uh, Joe Biden served under, letting loose on the current president. With the U.S. election roughly 11 weeks away, the Democratic presidential ticket will be made official tonight. The party's national convention is set to close with another politically packed program, including a speech from Joe Biden. Global's Reggie Giacchini has the latest. Delivering his speech from a state he represented for more than a quarter century, former Vice President Joe Biden will solidify the ticket, ending what has been a historic convention that includes Kamala Harris, the first woman of color, as a vice presidential candidate. We will act boldly and deal with our challenges honestly. Harris, a former prosecutor, walked into her place in history by building a case against the current administration. Donald Trump's failure of leadership has cost lives and livelihoods. But the most stinging rebuke broke political norms. Normally, vice presidential nominees spend a lot of time really hitting the other side and kind of being the attack dog. Former President Barack Obama opting to not refrain from criticizing a current commander. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work. Thursday night will bring a similar tone from those who tried to best Biden, Andrew Yang, Pete Buttigieg, and Michael Bloomberg, each with a message to their individual base to get out the vote. 
Meanwhile, President Trump has tried to counter this week's events, making campaign stops in key battleground states, including Pennsylvania, in Joe Biden's hometown of Scranton. Joe Biden is a puppet of the radical left movement that seeks to destroy the American way of life. But as Trump looks to steal the spotlight, new scandals threaten to overshadow his upcoming convention, including an indictment against his former campaign chair, Steve Bannon. Joe Biden's speech is seen as an opportunity to reintroduce himself to the American public and build a future vision for the party, while leaning on lessons learned from a lengthy political past. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Wilmington, Delaware. RCMP are cracking down on visitors to Banff who are not following COVID guidelines and restrictions. They've received about three dozen calls per week from concerned citizens. The majority of people are allowed to be in the country. Americans traveling to and from Alaska are required to take direct routes and even go through drive throughs to get food. However, one man from Kentucky was fined for breaching health orders and then was allegedly found touring Sulphur Mountain the very next day with a Canadian friend. And he had been staying in a hotel in Banff and the next day, um, and this was later in the day, I believe around 3 p.m., when the vehicle was identified and police were called. So um, my understanding, um, he had gone up uh, up Sulphur Mountain um, and had not followed the direction of, you know, obviously the uh, Canada Border Services Agency upon entry into Canada and did not follow the direction of the police officer the night before. The man was arrested, charged and escorted out of town. He's now facing another fine, this one up to $750,000. New research suggests a link between cannabis use and harm reduction in young people. Studies from the BC Centre of Substance Use and the University of British Columbia looked at behaviour among youth and hard drug users in downtown Vancouver. They found many used cannabis not for recreation but as a form of mental health, often to help reduce the use of other substances like fentanyl, heroin or meth. The study does note that for some, intensive cannabis use did have a negative effect. Up next, a search and rescue member's survival story and his warning to others. And later, a mysterious tunnel and an old bank. How construction crews unearthed a surprising discovery. Also ahead... Markstrom! Oh, did you see that? Making his mark on Canucks' great save history. That's later in sports. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. RCMP want to know if you recognize this theft suspect after Christie's forecast what he was after and how long it took him to get in and get out. But first, right before we get to Christie, a BC man is ter- telling a terrifying story of a near death experience with an important message. If it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. Eric Keane is a member of Kimberly Search and Rescue, a former competitive swimmer and a trained lifeguard. But none of that was a match for the power of the St. Mary's River. Linda Aylesworth has his story. It was a scorching 35 degrees in Eric Keane's community of Kimberley on August 2nd when he and his wife Alyssa rethought their plans to go for a hike. We decided a, a raft on the river would be more acceptable activity. So they borrowed a small raft and headed to the St. Mary River. Right below us here is where we set the rafts in the water. 
The water was running particularly high and fast. They were expecting an exhilarating ride. You never know what's around the corner until you're there. Two kilometers downstream, they were swept into a log jam and thrown into the water. My wife had a PFD on. I, however, did not. We only had the one. Eric, an experienced Kimberley search and rescue volunteer and former lifeguard, thought he didn't need one. But as he clung to the log, he realized his mistake. And I repeatedly tried to inch ourselves higher and higher to get a little breathing room around our faces. But every time we made a movement, we get sucked back down. For 10 minutes, they fought the swift current that threatened to suck them under the log jam. I was pretty exhausted and uh, almost couldn't hold on any longer. I was accepting my fate in the river. Uh, my wife had then said, uh, Eric, I'm scared. At that moment when she said that, uh, the adrenaline kicked in. Eric managed to pull himself onto the log, then heaved his wife up to safety. It definitely horrifying. Uh, hard couple of days after that, thinking about the other possible outcomes. Eric has shared the experience in his blog. I Choose to Live is a cautionary tale he hopes others will learn from. Learning a river on the fly is not a good idea. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. All right, time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our forecast. Uh, obviously, a change, Christy. Hopefully, it'll be a change for the better for those fighting wildfires in B.C. Absolutely, Sophie. I had a quick update, uh, a look at the website um, from the BC Wildfire Service. It looks like the fires across South Vancouver Island all are now under control, hopefully because of the rainfall that we're seeing. I don't know if you can see in this image, but it's certainly coming down. Here's a look at the radar imagery. You can see it raining all the south coast area. Also a few lightning strikes. So we do have a slight chance of a few thunderstorms this evening. And again tomorrow as we continue with rain on and off throughout the day. The wave of rain pushing in across many parts of the province. Areas like Penticton likely getting a few showers but the best chance will be late in the morning through the afternoon hours for that region. As I talked about embedded in this that rainfall though, thunderstorms. So more lightning strikes potentially tomorrow. So we'll be watching that and gusty winds out of the south. So uh, this is a smoky skies forecast for tomorrow. Potential smoky skies from the fires down south of the border as well as the one in our provinces likely uh, pushing towards the north. So we could see a bit more smoke but hopefully the rainfall that we see tomorrow could help things a little bit. Quick thunderstorm safety just to let you know anytime that you can actually hear thunder you have the possibility of being struck by lightning. So the overall theme is when thunder roars head indoors to keep you and your family safe. There's your forecast across the north. Periods of rain, a risk of thunderstorms. We will see a number of thunderstorms across the province tomorrow along with these periods of rain. Heavy at times for the south coast region. 21 degrees as our high. Clearing out just in time for the weekend but not scorching hot temperatures over the next little while. So hopefully that's a good news scenario with that sunshine as we head into the next few days when we talk about the forest fire situation. Great shot from today in Squamish. Tracy sending us this one and I love seeing the cloud cover the different layers in amongst the uh of course squamish chief there all right so back to you that's a very west coast picture beautiful thank you christy burnaby rcmp are hoping you can help identify a man caught on video breaking into a car take a look it happened last month and how long would you guess it will take this thief to get what he wants undeterred by the bright lights or the fact that this took place in a residential area 
Instead, he was focused on the valuables that had been left on display in the vehicle. And in less than 40 seconds, he has broken the window, grabbed what he wanted, and made his getaway. Don't leave valuables visible in your car. Uh, if, if you can, don't leave any valuables in your car. If you can, park in a well-lit area, in a garage if you can. But most importantly, don't leave uh, visible valuables in your vehicle. Sometimes it's not even valuables. Uh, they might just take some cigarettes or some change in your, in your, uh, in your glove box. Uh, but the nuisance of having to make a claim, make an appointment, get a new window, uh, if that's all they do to your car. RCMP say the suspect was driving what's believed to be a newer model white Audi Q5. If you recognize this man, you are asked to call Burnaby RCMP or Crime Stoppers. All right, Squire Barnes is here with us now. I didn't see any of the game except for that Markstrom save, and wow. <laughs> well, uh, he made actually a few of them. I think, I, I'm not sure, but I think a few people were probably thinking, okay, this is done when it was 3-1 early in the second period. Let's turn it off. Let's watch something else. But then the Canucks rallied, and they rallied because of Markstrom. When all looked lost, Jacob Markstrom came to their rescue. Uh, when you're down, you need guys, someone to step up and take charge. Obviously, Markley's done that before. Yeah, it was big saves like this one that sparked his team to make a comeback and win game number five. And coming up later, a small Alberta town digs up a 100-year-old mystery. Making his mark. That's pretty good. The right time. Marky Mark. And the Funky Bunch. Remember them? I do. There was a lot of good vibrations last night coming out of Edmonton. I know. Uh, just when it was looking like the Canucks were getting the blues, St. Louis got them. And now Vancouver has the champs ready to fall. All it takes is one more win, and Game 6 is tomorrow. In Game 5 last night, the Canucks did the things they need to do to win in the playoffs. They didn't stop skating. The blues can't hit them as hard when they're moving. They also got goals from players who aren't stars, like Tyler Mott and Jake Vertanen. But none of that would have mattered if it wasn't for Jacob Markstrom. When the Canucks were starting to go under, it was Markstrom who turned into the lifeguard and saved everybody in a Vancouver uniform. Pedersen on the ice. That hit the official open net. Markstrom! Oh, did you see that? This could be the 2020 version of the save, more than a quarter century after Kirk McLean's larcenous pad stack in the 94 playoffs. It remains to be seen if Markstrom's magic will be the catalyst to a deep Stanley Cup run, but it definitely turned the tide in Game 5 and eventually led to a Canucks win that has them a step closer to advancing to the next round. Lucky enough, I got a, got back in the net and got a piece of it uh, with the blockers. So it's you know desperation and you know nice to to get a bounce uh, going our way and then uh, you know obviously the new confidence rises after uh, after a stop like that. When Marky's playing like that, it, it it fires the bench up for sure. When Marky's doing those things, it's it's pretty incredible to see that a human being can make saves like that. So I mean, it fires us up. Markstrom made about a dozen outstanding saves in Game 5, and he's been at the top of his game this entire series. The Blues have had to work for everything they've got, and Markstrom's left them shaking their heads on many occasions, all the while sparking his teammates to turn the tide. Every once in a while there's a save where 
the bench will, someone will say, that's the one we need. Um, and that was one of those moments where you know you got a big save that might have been the one that kept you in the game, and now you got to push. Back it goes to Miller. Drives down low, give and go, or Bertanner scores! Jake Bertanner has his first Stanley Cup playoff goal. The Canucks did get key secondary scoring from Jake Vertanen and Tyler Mott, which they will continue to need if they're going to win this series and beyond. But make no mistake, the Canucks' endless summer only continues if Jacob Markstrom keeps making game-changing saves. Very delay, Global Sports. Brendan Gallagher is out of the Canadiens' flyer series because of a broken jaw, suffered when he was cross-checked in the face by Matt Niskanen of Philadelphia. And Niskanen only got a one-game suspension, which seems pretty small for a league that likes to say it's trying to eliminate such dangerous hits. Islanders-Capitals game five. And Barry Trotz beat his old team and knocked him out of the playoffs. Nicholas Backstrom is back in the Caps lineup after missing three games with a concussion. 2015 NHL first round. The Islanders had two picks. They took Matt Barzell and that guy, Anthony Beauvillier. That's a pretty good haul. He scores and make it 1-0 after one. Then in the second period, he does it again. Beauvillier with a move on Braden Holpe. 2-0. Islanders at that point, last check. One period to go. If there's no overtime, Islanders up 2-zip. The Whitecaps play Toronto tomorrow night, and they're going to have to be a lot better than they were when they played Toronto on Tuesday and lost 3-0. In that game, Vancouver looked tired. They looked slow. It was as if all their water bottles had been filled with melatonin. It didn't make a lot of sense because they hadn't played in three weeks. I don't know. It was, it was weird because we had the... Uh... We had the, the flight and the day before, and we, we, it just felt off. It just felt off. It was, it was a, a weird. I never saw the guys like that physically this year. Uh, the way we pressed, uh, incredibly disjointed, and then we, we allowed a lot of space uh, to the opponent. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Orlando, Bucks, game two. The Bucks lost the opener, but... When Giannis is playing like this, it's kind of hard to lose. Yep. 28 points, 20 rebounds. The season, the series is even now. 111-96, the final for Milwaukee. Uh, and the Northern Trust Open from Boston, and Tiger Woods is in this one. And Tiger, birdie's the third hole here. He actually had a good day. Three under 68. He's tied for 30th. A lot of guys went low today. Tommy Fleetwood here with a great approach on the par five. Almost jars it. He did have the lead, but is now tied for 12th at minus 5. Four players are at minus 7, including Kevin Streelman. Nick Taylor, 3 under par, and uh, Adam Hadwin, 1 under, thanks to an eagle on the 18th. There you go. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Ann Drua for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. An evacuation alert has been issued for a wildfire burning near Lillooet Lake in the Squamish Lillooet Regional District. Officials are worried about the wildfire combined with heavy rain in the forecast and a warning from Coquitlam RCMP on how quickly a catalytic converter can be stolen. RCMP releasing video showing a theft in progress, which took less than five minutes. The Mounties say they've seen a 50% increase in these types of thefts compared to last year. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Ann. Up next, a 100-year-old bank heist solved thanks to a surprising discovery by a construction crew. 
Rare discovery in the Alberta town of Stony Plain. Global's Morgan Black shares the story of a mysterious tunnel and how it's helping piece together the past. Underneath a main road in an Alberta town rests a mystery waiting to be unearthed. The tunnel itself, it was two and a half meters long, but it was only about three feet at its widest spot. Mike Moeller discovered the burrow while doing construction work. He presumed water had run underneath the concrete and created a cave. But when he took a closer look, he realized this tunnel was man-made. actually see marks on the side of the banks where somebody had been digging with hand tools of some sort. And like I said, it went all the way past the foundation of the building. That building, built in 1918, was home to a bank. So the speculation arised that there potentially was a robbery. Now the town is working to solve the century-old mystery. The best guess is uh, somebody tried to rob the bank and they got in. As uh, we can see from the inside photos, uh, there has been a replacement of concrete, so there was a breach. Mayor William Choi says the town will piece together what happened through historians and archives. Things that happen in this area are located in those books, so um, we'll be digging through those to find out some kind of history of if there was a bank robbery back in 1918 or 1920s. The curious piece of history, perfectly preserved. It is actually very fascinating that the tunnel has actually managed to, uh, to stay uh, intact all this time. The tunnel is now sealed shut. The case will remain open for at least a little while longer. That's so cool. It's fascinating. And I just wanted to learn more about it. Morgan Black, Global News. I love a good historic I know, heist. It's like, was that a robbery or a heist? A heist always sounds classier in movies or a case. Where you dress up for a heist, right? You would, yeah. You wear a tuxedo for a heist. <laughs> All right, quick word on the weather. <laughs> Sure. So rainfall overnight. We still have a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow. Sunshine, though, finally back over the weekend. Have a good night, everyone.